0: Resources and links are in the show notes. Visit us at therockfocus.blogspot.com. Now, on to this week's episode. We're talking branding, the way the writer can reach the reader. In the last episode, we talked about the crucial first impression, built with three glances. First, capturing the story in three words. To find your niche, second matching those words with images through iconography, writing with images, and third using clever titling or cover copy to close the deal. Finding those first three words was our first job, and we had two keys using contrast or juxtaposition and narrowing to a niche market. In this episode we focus the second glance and clever iconography with keys three and four. Branding requires three glances. The second glance is to brand through clever iconography. Iconography literally means writing with pictures, or we can say information through images. That's what brands do. Trademarked brands take an image totally unrelated to a product and associate it with that product. Nike's Swoop, Apple's Little Apple, McDonald's Golden Arches, NBC's Peacock, Starbucks Mermaid. These are trademark images that identify the brand. None of the images have any obvious connection to the product. Apple's Little Apple with its single bite has nothing to do with computers, except for the bite to be YTE. Nike's Swoop could possibly be the wing of the Goddess Nike, Winged Victory. Neither of those two or the others have any clear connection to the product. Brands are not trademarks, although elements of brands can be trademarked, but that's a different concern and leads to licensing those elements. It's licensing that made the megabucks for J.K. Rowling and George Lucas. Brands merely help consumers identify products. As writers, we market our products, books, through visual representations of our stories and our norm fiction text. I picked that fancy keyhole as the visual representation for this book because the plate of the keyhole looked like a badge, a seal of approval. I also liked the keyhole looking into a new world, which we writers do, opening views to new worlds for our readers. And we have metaphorical keys to unlock what we're doing. You need to have similar covers across all of your books, not just the ones in the series. Readers need ways to identify your books. They will look for similar imagery long before they look for your name. Keep that most important key in mind. Iconography can be concrete even when it's metaphorical, as the cover of this book is with the keyhole, or it can be totally abstract. Abstract covers, however, lead readers to believe that the book will be literary or modern. Most readers want a realistic representation on their covers, whether that realistic representation involves people or not. When writing with images, we have to convey our three story elements, something about the protagonist, something about the setting, something that sets this story apart while still being familiar. The last two CAD file covers in the previous section conveyed the monk protagonist, the medieval setting, and the focus on murder or danger, solved by our peaceful monk, juxtaposing murder with tranquility. The covers also conveyed the three niche markets, mystery and history, and a religious character. Key three presents more about the importance of iconography. Key 4 also does this, even as it raises a problem that we need to solve with words, not images. Key 3. When I first encountered the CAD file series by Ellis Peters in paperback form, each cover had a framed stained glass window depicting an image related to the story. Deep color saturation of the individual pieces of glass suggested that the mystery would have as much depth and intricacy as the medieval cathedral window. The three words that tag the Cadfile series are monk, middle ages, and murder. Monk and middle ages equals the cathedral and stained glass. Murder equals a shrouded woman, pointing into the distance, as well as the title's use of morbid and bones. I bought two Cadfile books that first day, A Morbid Taste for Bones, and One Corpse Too Many, one and two in the series. I quickly read them and went back from Monk's 3rd, and The Virgin and I, 6th. The similar cover branding helped me find them again. The mall bookseller had shifted their position and wasn't helpful at all. Tony Hillerman had a well-known locale in the desert southwest, an unusual protagonist in his Navajo Detectives. When he began writing his mystery series, Police Procedural, this mix was a rarity. While not a Native American himself, Hilleman was steeped in the Southwest mystique. He hit three niche markets, lovers of the desert Southwest, those curious about Native Americans, and those interested in police procedurals. His best covers captured all three niches with a single glance. The same thing happened with Tony Hilleman's The Thief of Time. I bought the first quickly, then returned for two more. Coyote, and Skinwalkers. Hilleman's tags are Navajo, Desert Southwest, and Crime. The cover for Coyote Wakes had images that looked like a Navajo shamanic sand painting on a white background. Other images evoked the barren desert, Skinwalkers. Many of his titles for his subsequent books sounded like the mythology of the Desert Southwest. Voila! Classic images of the landscape and Native American myth and a few skulls rolling around. Adding color saturation to the images pop them off the white background. I barely saw Hilleman's name, even though it's always in the same position at the top in bold letters, usually black, always in the same color of the titling. The covers for Tony Hilleman's first book depict the same problem that the CAD file series faced. The nineteen seventy-first edition makes us wonder, is this a mystery? or only a book about Native Americans. The 1978 and 1980s, the exact date for the 1980 cover, I don't know. These covers for these books mix the desert Southwest, the locale, with one of the other elements. 1978 adds the Navajo mythology, but not mystery. 1980s adds danger, the skull, but not the Navajo. By 1990, we have covers that mix all three, Desert Southwest, A Bit of Danger, and Navajo Mythology. The 2019 edition is closer to the original, with A Bit of Danger mixed in. But if you don't know it's a mystery in the Desert Southwest, you're going to be surprised. The first element title that I purchased, A Thief of Time, combined images of the Desert Southwest, Pueblo pottery, and skulls. I took a chance on the book along with the two Ellis Peter CAD file books and the first Elizabeth Peters all on that visit in 1995. I was lucky to pick up all three at the local chain store in the mall. The 1988 cover has Archaeology in the Desert Southwest. No mystery, but Pelle is Native American mythology. The 1989 cover offers a skull for deadly mystery, but very little connection to the desert southwest. Yes, we could count the basic geometric border, but I don't. Winning covers hit all three elements, and only the nineteen ninety five cover did so. Steampunk is a perfect example of the way that setting can hook readers. The magic and mechanical combined in the Victorian age, and readers snapped up the books that clearly represented the steampunk subgenre. Again, that's three niche markets. Here's the importance of the third key. When you combine the setting with protagonists who are of and in that setting, readers will be snared. Key four. For her first Amelia Peabody book, Elizabeth Peters was leaving her established genre of contemporary women in jeopardy. Nine years into a career that began in 1966, Peters was branching out with Amelia, a character with an extremely strong voice, much snarkier than her other heroines. Amelia Peabody is a turn-of-the-century strong-minded woman who finds herself and her new friend in Egypt at an archaeological expedition. They both find mystery and fall in love with the two lead archaeologists. Amelia, of course, takes charge of the expedition when the head archaeologist becomes sick. Other writers have written books about archaeologists and the ancient world of the Middle East. Agatha Christie's 1936 Murder in Mesopotamia is the best known. Peters, her real name is Barbara Mertz, began her writing career in 1966. As Barbara Michaels, she wrote quite a number of standalone novels. As Elizabeth Peters, she penned the Vicky Bliss Mysteries, A Contemporary Heroine, who falls in love with a bad boy, Antiquities Thief. The first, Vicky Bliss, appeared in 1973. Two years later, she debuted the Amelia Peabody series, with the second Amelia book not appearing until 1981, six years later. While she may have begun with standalones, she obviously was searching for a series character on which to build a career. Series characters are just like brands. They identify a product for the consumer. Sherlock Holmes, Miss Marple, Hercule Poirot, Travis McGee. The consumer sees the series character, trusts the established brand, and buys with only a slight hesitation to check more information. How did Peters create a series that would stand against still-selling books like Agatha Christie's? How did her story create something new something different while being familiar. Peters had three niche markets, mystery lovers, history lovers, archaeology lovers. Was that intentional or not? Her Vicki Bliss mysteries had touched on archaeology and history and mystery. Her other books were primarily standalones. None of them became mega sellers until Peters broke out with Amelia Peabody years later. With Amelia Peabody, Peters had three twists, a strong woman who involved herself in two things she knew nothing about, archaeology and crime solving. Many people are interested in archaeology and crime solving, but most know very little. Thus, Peters had a built-in connection to her market. In the 1970s, a female protagonist in a man's world was very current. That created a third strong connection with a potential audience. The majority of readers are women. While women will pick up books by men, and with male protagonists, most men will not. Peters created a strong-voiced female protagonist with a 1970s sensibility, yet living in the 1880s. Amelia might not know very much about the world in which she found herself, but that didn't stop her. That's our fourth key in understanding our story and understanding our brand. This is our first job, to find a connection between protagonist and readers that will be apparent during the crucial three-step first impression. The marketers had difficulty with the Amelia Peabody series, clearly seen in following the changes in four covers for her first book. The first book sold only a relatively few copies, Black covers everything. A splotch of red with palm trees, date palms, not coconut ones. A novel above the title, Crocodile on the Sandbank. This is not really helpful to the reader. The second book emphasized romance more than mystery. Romance in a foreign land. Surely that will sell. The heroine looks up to a man in desert khaki. She appears weak-willed and dispirited in front of the man, which is not Amelia's character at all. While she loves the archaeologist, she stood strong against him and with him. We do have the sphinx, though, rather than palm trees that could be mistaken for any American tropical area. The third book cover is the one that was my own introduction to Amelia Peabody. Laying on sweeping dunes is a pith helmet and pyramids, which places in Egypt. Nothing about the title says mystery, nor does the slithering Crocodile, although it does say danger. The cover does tell me that this is an Amelia Peabody mystery, which announces a series. The graphic image is just a little off reality and certainly not like the romantic feel of the previous cover. The cartoonish cover from 2006 is a British printing. We have Amelia on her knees in the sand, pyramids in the background, working on something while her friend paints an actual scene from the book. Grounding the cover is the crocodile on the bank of the Nile River. It's appropriately fanciful, but a little naive, which Amelia certainly is not. Why did this third cover work for me in buying this book? Well, it had to do with the book description on the back, the so-called blurb. I'll talk about this tricky difficulty with the first Amelia Peabody book, all in our next section. All through July and August, the right focus is in a series on branding using Emily's guidebook, Discovering Your Author Brand. A link to view images of the covers discussed is in the show notes. Worksheet templates and a video trailer script are available at Buy Me a Coffee. Find that link also in the show notes. Thanks for listening to The Rock Focus, a podcast for writers at all levels, hosted by Emma from Writers Inc. Books, assisted by Remy Black and Edie Runes. Our focus is productivity. Process, craft, and tools. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle called Background Music Loop. Its creator is Alexander Polishchuk, known on Audio Jungle as Plastic Three. The music comes in different iterations. Show notes and resource links for this and other episodes can be found at the rightfocus.blogspot.com. Write to us at Winkhooks Aol.com when you have questions, comments, and speculations. We will try to answer you as quickly as possible. By the way, we will not mind your email address. That's rude. If you find value in our content, share with your writing friends, or write a review, we're small beans here without the advertising budget of the big peeps, and you can make a difference. And whatever occurs, write on.